Hey guys, this is Anna. So before we get today, get on with the show today, let's hear from our sponsor. Hey guys, this is the ramblings of a transgender Christian. I am your host, Anna Hudak. So today we are talking about gay copper passages. <clears throat> so basically, if these are passages in the Bible that are used by, you know, anti-LGBT people to say that gay is bad. I do not believe that the Bible says that at all, and I hope to demonstrate why I believe that today. So we're going to look at pretty much at least all the gay caliber passages I could find. Um, if I did forget some, feel free to message me, um, especially if you don't know how to respond to them. And I'll definitely uh, do the research into it. So, um, so yeah, we're going to talk about that, especially Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, kind of, you know, the big, you know, the, the, the big you know, so-called proof in the Bible that gay bad. Um, now, a lot of what I'm going to be talking about comes from an article I found online uh, from Epistle.us, I believe. Uh, let me make sure. Yes. So, uh, basically, Epistle.us is where I get much of this from because a lot of this requires you to have a knowledge of um, the culture at the time, and a knowledge of uh, ancient Greek and Hebrew. I do not, to be frank. Um, I know nothing about the culture at the time or, you know, <clears throat> Greek and Hebrew, okay? Like, I don't even know English, okay? Like, schoolhouse rock levels of English are too much for me, okay? So, like, I'm not going to understand anything about ancient Greek or Hebrew, okay? So, a lot of it is going to come from that site. Uh, and this case, the person who wrote down this article duh, is actually an expert on all these things. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to the where, to the experts. So, you know. Um, so anyway, so the first thing, let's uh, just dive on into the big one, Sodom and Gomorrah. So obviously, you know, you can find that whole saga in Genesis 18, 16 through 1929. I'm only going to read part, part of that because our friends are going to be here for quite a long time. This is already, already probably going to end up being a longer podcast episode, okay? We're going to we're gonna read the, only the most relevant of the passages. So, the first uh, relevant verse I'm going to read is 18, um, let's see, 1820. This is from Genesis. Um, and the Lord said, because the out, and I'm reading from the New King James. I want to make that clear as well. I am reading from the New King James, so, um. And that, that is important in this case, uh, what translations you're reading from. But anyway, um, and the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because her sin is very grave, um, I will go down now and see whether um, they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So basically, the reason this is important is that Sodom and Gomorrah were so abhorrent that there was a large outcry against it. Like, it was so famous for its sin that, you know, like, God was like, okay, something clearly has to be done. Like, he knew what was going on. Like, um, okay, this was basically just for the benefit of everybody else, for us humans here on Earth. Okay, so. Now we're going to skip ahead to... The actual, you know, uh, actions itself. 
um, in Genesis 19, um, starting from verse 1 all the way through verse 11. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, <clears throat> he rose to, greet, to meet them. And he bowed himself with his face to the ground. And he said, Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet, and that you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly, so they turned in to him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young, old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called a lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out so that we may know them carnally. Um, so Lot may, went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. Um, see now I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let, them bring, let me bring them out to you so that you may do to them as you wish, only to do... Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason that they have come under the shadow of my roof. And by the way, I want to go back to something. So in verse 5, it says, Where are the men who came out to you? Bring them out so that we may know them carnally. So one of the things about the King James and the New King James is that they italicized words that were not in the original text. These are words that they added for what they believe were to be clarity. So carnally is an italicized word here. Carnally is not a word that was in the original Hebrew. Um, they added that. So I just, I, I just wanted to make mention of that, that the word carnally, even the translators make note, was a word that they added. It is an italicized word. And I'm going to be honest, I wish more translations to the italicized words. Um, like, honestly, like, why? It's stupid. Like, the King James, this was one of the things that the King James did really well, was having those italicized words. That is really important for us to understand, you know, if we really want to dig in deep into the Bible. Like, I'm just saying, if I were put in charge of a Bible translation, like, I'd be doing the italicized words, you know, of when it's not in the Bible. Words that are not in the Bible. Like, it's too important. Like, why is the old King James and the new King James... The only translation to do it. So dumb. Anyway. Uh, continuing on from where we were. Uh, so verse 9. And they said, stand back. Um, and then they said, this is the one who came to stay here. And he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So he pressed hard against the man Lot. And came to came near to break down the door. But Lot and it. Oh, sorry. But the man reached out for hands and pulled Lot into the house. <laughs> sorry, there's a fly that's flying around. So, for those listening, I was, uh, when it all, like, oh, flies land out by you and I tried to kill it. But, that's, anyway, sorry. Sorry if you heard that. Um, but, at least on the video you saw it. So, anyway. Um, but the man reached out for hands and pulled Lot into the house with him and shut the door. And then they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great. So that they were weary trying to find the door. Anyway, so now we're all on the same page of what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and in the Bible, they talk about Sodom and Gomorrah and specifically what they did. 
Now, obviously, you know, in this passage, um, it's been used to say, see, gay bad for Sanwise homosexuality. Well, other verses, passages in the Bible seem to say something a bit different. Uh, the first one is going to be uh, Matthew um, 10, 12 through 15. Um, okay, let's see. Okay. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So it seems to be implying that inhospitality is the sin that was committed. Um, it seems to be linking inhospitality to Sodom and Gomorrah. So um, that's what it seems to be the sin here. I mean, why else could they connect inhospitality to the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah? It makes no other sense other than Sodom, Sodom is judged for inhospitality. We have other verses, because, you know, you can make a lot of arguments against that. I think for weak arguments, but you can make a lot of arguments against that. Uh, there's Ezekiel 16. Um, let me see what verses do I want to read, because it's a long, long, long passage. Uh, but basically, if you know, a lot of insights I saw... Generally, it was about 16, 23, 4, 52. I don't think that we need to quite read all that. Um, let me see here. Okay, so... Um, Alright, so the, the divert, because once again, this is a long passage, like 30 verses, we're not reading all of that. Um, we're going to start with, um, we're going to do Ezekiel 16, um, 46, and just kind of go from there. Um, okay, so um, your elder sister is Samaria, so you know, he's uh, preaching judgment against uh, Jerusalem, Ezekiel, um, for full clarification. Um, he's talking to Israel. Your elder sister is Samaria, who dwells with her daughters to the north of you. And your younger sister, who dwells to the south of you, is Sodom and her daughters. You did not walk in their ways, nor act according to their abominations. But as if that were too little, you became more corrupt than them in all your ways. So in other words, you know, I want to make this clear. Uh, Ezekiel saying that Jerusalem is even worse than Sodom. But continuing on. As I live, says the Lord God, neither your sister Sodom nor her daughters had done as you and your daughters have done. Um, look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. Notice, he says, look, this is the iniquity of your sister Sodom. He is about to say the sins that Sodom committed. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. 
neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Be very for I took them away as I saw fit. So in other words, um, they are prideful and they oppress the poor. I, I don't see uh, gay listed among that. But there are other verses uh, that talk about this as well. Uh, there's Jude. Let me find that. Uh, Jude verses 6 or 7. Let me find Jude here. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> and the angels who did not keep her proper domain, but left her own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around him in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, were set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So in other words, there are angels, and Sodom and Gomorrah had sex with strange flesh. Hmm. So basically it seems like that whatever for sexual sin was, it was something to do with strange flesh. Hmm. Wonder what that is. So we actually have it uh, from, this is the first passage I'm going to read from. The uh, epistle site that I was telling you about, which of course you can find the link to in the description. Uh, this is their commentary on this. So, as well as the men of Sodom and, at Sodom and Gomorrah for her quote unquote fornication in many translations and going after strange flesh. So, strange flesh, or difference if you want to translate it that way, um, is a good literal translation of the Greek sarcos. Hetros. Okay, just understand, whenever they bring Greek or Hebrew, I am going to almost certainly butcher it badly, so I'm just going to try my best. And so all you Greek and Hebrew uh, language experts who are, who are going to be gnashing your teeth at my horrible pronunciations, get over it. I'm sorry. I'm not, I don't know shit about these languages. I don't know how to pronounce these words. I'm just going to try my best. Anyway. Um, is a good literal, basically, strange flesh is a good translation of the Greek sarkos heteros. While, you know, in many other translations, such as um, the NRSV and NIV, who translate it as unnatural lust or perversion, um, it is a terrible translation. Basically, it loads onto the text meaning, but it's not in the original Greek. So basically, if you use a translation or maybe translate it as perversion or unnatural lust, it's it's a bad translation. It is a mistranslation um, that adds meaning that's not supposed to be there. The best it, for only doing basically the translators only did their job if they translate as strange or different flesh. Um, heteros is the same adjective that is used elsewhere to describe other heavenly or foreign tongues. Um, that disciples spoken at Pentecost, which, you know, Acts 2, 4 for 6. Uh, and any different gospel that was preached from what Paul proclaimed by divine revelation. If you look at Jude verse 7, we know that even as and in like manner, 
what was going on at Sodom it was um, uh, was like what was going on in verse 6. Namely, the focus is on actual and attempted angel-human sexual union. So because of it, you know, the proper translation of strange flesh. And we take into context verse 6. It's almost it, very, it, you know, and uh, it's quite clear that what he's saying is that what they were doing was having sex or attempting that sex with angels. If this, anyway, continue on with what they're writing. If this text is in its larger context teaches anything, it is that the church is no place for carousing and other sexual activity, say a similar passage in 2 Peter 2, 13-14. Um, in scripture, then, what is condemned as Sodom is not homosexuality, but gross inhospitality, sexual violence and rape, and attempted sex with angelic beings. That is the only thing that you can come up with when you take into to consideration the Matthew passage, the Ezekiel passage, and its Jude passage. All the sins listed are inhospitality, sexual violence and rape, and attempted sex with angelic beings. The Bible doesn't say anything about Sodom and gay sex. Nothing. It literally has nothing to say about uh, gay sex in Sodom. So unfortunately, here's the facts. If you're going to try to say gay bad, you are very disingenuous if you're using Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, you are adding something to since that was never there. Um, but continuing on uh, to other passages now. So this is, and this is also my commentary, and this is also going to be from the Epistle site, because quite frankly, I am not smart enough uh, to know these things without it. So, so this is going to be from two, two verses in Leviticus. The first is Leviticus 18.22. Uh, and that reads, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Seems pretty clear-cut. Gay bad. And now uh, Leviticus 20, 13, which is, um, If a man lies with a male as he, if he lies with a woman, both of them have committed abomination. But he shall surely be put to death, for blood shall be upon them. Um, so basically, in the chapter 18 verse, what we see is them saying, uh, you know, this is the sin, and tw the uh, chapter 20 verse is, this is the punishment for that sin. So you have to have them both together. You can't separate the two. So, obviously this seems pretty straightforward. Seems to certainly be saying, gay bad. And we're going to explain to you through this verse from this passage through the epistle website, uh, epistle.us website, why, not exactly. I want to hold your horses before you say that. Anyway, um... Okay, so, since Leviticus 18.22 and 20.13 is the only place in the King James, and I'm reading for in the New King James, so I'm assuming basically the same thing. Um, 
Uh, I just didn't want to read from the King James just because, you know, I have a decently sized uh, international audience who probably know nothing about Old English, so I'm um, going to uh, read from the New King James because that's a lot easier to understand, so. Um, but, and it's basically the same, you know, so. Anyway, uh, anyway, since uh, it lived those two passages in Leviticus are the only places in the King James or Zakar is uh, peculiarly translated as mankind, the term male is used elsewhere, such as in Leviticus 6.29 and 22.19, is clear and preferable. Basically, only here um, in these passages do they translate Zakar as mankind. Every other time when they do it, even in Leviticus, it's translated as male. The fact that we find two different Hebrew words used here for male, ish and zikar, suggests that this may not be simply... Um, sorry, I lost my place because I was trying to slap it on a fly. Anyway, I'm sorry. The fact that we find two Hebrew words here for male, ish and zikar, suggests that we may not be simply... This may not simply be an about an ordinary man, ish, having sex with an, another ordinary man. So, other words, um, when the Hebrew word ish is used, it just means ordinary man. But in this passage, they use both ish and zakar. Obviously, it can't be just be ordinary man being used here. It just doesn't make sense. Uh, Anyway, continuing on. Uh, but what is meant here? A study of all the rare uses of the word zakar, male, in the Old Testament reveals that 90% of the cases apparently was applied to a man or a male animal specially dedicated to a deity for some sacred function. In other words, whenever zakar was used elsewhere, it's strictly talking to about... Uh, Basically, uh, you know, males, animals, or humans who basically worshipped, uh, basically worshipped other gods. You know, they, 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 they basically they were people who did, uh, were, did acts of worship uh, for other gods, false gods. Um. Let's see. Zakar was applied, for example, to Israelite priests, sacrificial animals, circumcised men, Israelite men given various food. Uh, sorry, why did I say that? Uh, Israelite men given various sacred duties, and in some cases to persons who were dedicated to pagan gods. In fact, could Leviticus 18.22-20.13 fall into this last category, forbidding Israelite men to visit the male prostitutes dedicated to serving the Canaanite deities? One might also know that abomination, in Hebrew toaba, I'm going with that, was frequently applied to things that are related to idolatry, such as Deuteronomy 25-26, which of course would be the most offensive to the Lord God. That, but that idolatry was of concern in Leviticus 18-20 is shown in 19-4, where the Lord God says, Turn ye not into idols. Nor make unto yourself molten gods. I am the Lord, Yahweh, your God. In other words, um, 
You can't just take specific verses from 18 and 20 and just use them to say one thing is bad in a certain context. The whole context, like those two, cha those three chapters, um, 18 through 20, are all in a very specific context. And that context, as we find out in 19.4, is not worshiping other gods. And so we already see that in these passages that are taken out of context, um, seem to be talking about men who do acts in service to other gods. Um, especially, possibly, Israelite priests who go in and have sex with these prostitutes who commit prostitution in service of these other gods. In other words, these verses only work as anti-gay verses if you take them completely out of context and you ignore the original Hebrew. Because it seems pretty clear so far that it is strictly talking about people doing gay prostitution for as acts of worship of other gods. And, you know, once again, the whole context of the verse, these verses is everything I am listening here in these three chapters are an abomination in that, that they are done for other gods. But anyway, continuing on, because the case for this becomes even stronger. Uh, and continue on with, you know, the article from Epistle.us. This interpretation becomes even more plausible when we turn to Deuteronomy. Moses is revealed the law at the end of his life and before the Israelites entered the Promised Land. Not unexpectedly, there are many parallel passages on common themes. However, when we look for Deuteronomy for something related to, to, Levit to the two Leviticus verses, um, the only comparable passage that it can be found is Deuteronomy 23, 17-18, which reads, um, I am going to read this, uh, try to find this in uh, uh, New King James, because they use a lot of, um, actually no, I do want to use it because he specifically uses King James to commentate on it, so I am going to read it for you. And make it a bit easier for you to understand what it's saying, because a lot of it does use archaic language uh, in many ways. Uh, so, starting, so this is Deuteronomy 23, 17 through 18. Uh, there shall be no whore um, of the daughters of Israel, nor a sodomite, which in other, many of our translations is translated as temple prostitute. Um, let's see. Where was I? I'm sorry. Of the sons of Israel. So basically, uh, there shall be no whore of the daughters of Israel, nor Sodomite, or in other translations, temple prostitutes of the sons of Israel. Thou shalt not bring the hire, or fee, um, archaic language, I know. So, so, so thou shalt not bring the fee of a whore, um, in this case, female prostitute, or the price of a dog, which is slang for male prostitute. So, going back, thou shalt not bring... Uh, bring the fee of a female prostitute or the price of a male prostitute into the house of the Lord God uh, for any vow. 
For even both of these are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. So, surprise! In this passage, um, here the male cult prostitute is specifically mentioned. It is important to note that in 23.17, that both the Hebrew words translated into King James Version as whore and sodomite derive from a root meaning holy, or in the original Hebrew, kadosh, and so point to persons consecrated in service to a deity. Temple prostitute uh, is therefore an accurate translation in both cases, such as in NIV and Good News Bible and NRSV, while sodomite, such as in King James and New King James, uh, is a distorted translation of the Hebrew, where nowhere refer where which nowhere refers to Sodom. In 23.17, the Hebrew word for a female sacred prostitute is Kadeshasha. God. I am so sorry. I cannot pronounce this fucking word. Kadesha. Kadesha. We're going to go with that. We're going to go with Kadesha. Um... And for prostitute, using zonai, a common word for harlot. And to secular male prostitute, using the word for dog, Caleb, in a derogatory way. Money from none of these classes of prostitution was to be offered from the Lord, even though foreign cult prostitutes commonly supported for shrines through fees obtained by offering for passive sexual services to worship. So in other words... Deuteronomy, which is basically a commentary on Leviticus, when they basically get around to this passage, it makes it very fucking clear that it's talking about um, having sex with people who, you know, do homosexual cult, um, prostitution for other gods. Or just, you know, prostitution, period, in service of other gods. It's pretty fucking clear on this. Like, Deuteronomy does not leave any room for ambiguity here. It's quite clear. No, the, the, the problem is they're having sex with people who have sex as acts of worship for their false gods. So yeah, those are the biggest passages. Um, pretty fucking clear at this point. Like, I don't see how you argue at this point in good faith that it's talking about saying gay bad, as opposed to what it's actually saying, which is having sex in uh, acts of worship or with people who have sex as acts of worship to false gods. That's bad. That's very bad. Because, like, once again, they even say female prostitutes. You know, are a part of this. Like, this is not a gay bad passage by any stretch of the imagination. So sorry, like you can't use Leviticus as a gay bad passage. You are directly adding meanings where it's not there. But anyway, um, and there is more. That yes, my friends, there's even more. Uh. Epistle of IUS does not finish there. When we turn to Israel's history, we find no case where a man or a woman was tried, condemned, and put to death for simple same-sex activity. In Judges 19, we do have a story similar to Sodom, 
or certain sons of Belial, and um, uh, which in more literal translations is translated as worthless fellows, and Gibeah trying to get her hands on a Levite price, priest. Um, you know, we're going to read this passage. Let me find this passage and just read it for you. Um, Um, let's see. <clears throat> All right, so 1922, it looks like it starts from. As they were enjoying themselves, um, certain suddenly certain men of the city, perverted men, surrounded the house and beat on the door. Uh, they spoke to the master of the house, the old men, saying, Bring out the man who came to your house, that we may know him carnally. Once again, carnally here is an italicized word in the New King James. It's been added. It was, it was not a word originally used in the original text. Um, 23, verse 23. But the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said, No, my brethren, I beg you, do not act so wickedly. Seeing this man is coming to my house, do not commit this outrage. Look, here's my virgin daughter and the man's concubine. Let me bring them out now. Humble them and do with him as you please, but to this man, to this man do no such vile thing. But the man would not heed him. So the man took his concubine and brought her out to them. And they knew her and abused her all night unto morning. And when the day began to break for her, let her go. Then the woman came as the day was dawning and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was, till it was light, till it was light. When the master rose in the morning and opened the doors of the house and uh, went out to the, go his way, there was his concubine fallen at the door of the house with her hands up on the threshold. And he said to her, get up and let us be going. But there was no answer. So the man lifted her onto the donkey and the man got up and went to her his place. When he entered the house, his house and took a knife, laid hold of his concubine and divided her into 12 pieces, limb by limb. And sent her throughout all the territory of Israel, so that it was all uh, who saw it said, "No such deed has done been done or seen from the day that the children of Israel come up from the land of Egypt until this day." Consider it, confer it, and speak up. So, in other words, you can see a lot of similarities to Sodom. In fact, this is even worse than Sodom. They literally raped her until she died. They raped her so viciously, she died. And even before that, like, you can see the parallels to Sodom. And this is almost reads like they're just retelling the story of Sodom as if they just added an even more tragic and twisted ending. I mean, this is a messed up bullshit, you know? And then, like, he's cut her up into 12 pieces, limb by limb. And sent her out to all the, sent her pieces all throughout the territory of Israel. Like, my God. Anyway, continuing on the commentary, now that you know the passage. Because I think it was probably important to read that. Um, we turn to Israel's history. We know a man or woman was tried for same-sex activity. In Judges 19, we have a similar story, similar to Sodom, where certain sons of Belial were worthless fellows, and Gabia tried to give her hands on a Levite priest, whom an old man in that city had taken in with his party as guest for the night. 
so that the mob might know him or rape him. To save himself, the priest handed over his beloved concubine, whom the scoundrels then raped so viciously that she died. The but the other tribes then gathered to punish Gibeah and the tribe of Benjamin in chapter 20. But the crime here was heterosexual murder. The only other later uh, Old Testament references to negative homosexuality that we have in history, Israel's history are sad, reoccurring passages that speak of male cultic prostitutes operating in Judah, such as in 1 Kings 14, 23 through 24, 15, 12, and 22 through 40, uh, sorry, in chapter 22, 46. Even within the precincts of the Judah uh, Jerusalem temple itself, um, such as in 2 Kings 23, 7. As it turned out, God's warning in Leviticus 18, 22 and 2013 and Deuteronomy 23, 17 through 18 were a propos. Um, even though the Israelites later allowed the male cultic prostitutes to ply for trade. So yeah, people. Um, the Old Testament at no point says gay bad. It says male cultic practices, sex practices, are bad. And raping people, especially to death is bad. At least in the Old Testament, gay is not bad. But there's also a New Testament. <clears throat> and there are clobber passages there. So, uh, let's take those on. Now, this one is one that I don't, I'm not using commentary from um, epistle.us for because quite simply this one is simple enough to debunk without needing uh, outside commentary help so I myself with my very few brain cells you know will rub them together and come up with some uh, come up with a rebuttal so this is Romans chapter 1 uh, verses 18 through 27 for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against, un, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because of what made me known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like an incorruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave him up to unclean... Clean, wait, what? Yeah, unclean uncleanness in the lust of her hearts to dishonor of her bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave him up to vile passions for even for women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman 
burned in verlust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of her error which was due. And even as they did not re like to retain God in for knowledge, God gave them over to do a debased mind, to do those things which are not fitting. Um, let's see. Okay, we actually went past where they normally read, um, but what they usually use. Anyway, so, um, so yeah, you know, it, let's go back, you know, to those very specific passages. But, you know, I wanted to get the full context because all of it in context is important. Even when they use it as an anti-gay clobber passage, you have to read the verses before that to even understand how it could be used as an anti-gay clobber passage. Because basically, because there's where it seems like it's condemning um, homosexuality, which is 27. Um, Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in for lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of her error, which was due. You have to see beforehand, that, according to this, God is saying that it is a lie and it is an abomination. So yeah, um, so basically it is saying that, seems to be saying that homosexuality is unnatural. Well, here's the thing. We know, I mean, first off, you know, that being gay comes very naturally. People are just naturally gay. This has been known, basically, you know, I mean, like, this has been a true forever. I mean, like, there's never been a culture or time where people just weren't naturally gay. You know, people are born gay, quite literally, and we even have a lot of science to back that up. No, not the gay gene. My fucking God, shut up about the fucking gay gene. There's plenty of other science to do it, to show that. Um, that people are, in fact, born gay and trans. have nothing to do with a gene. Um, but the thing is, like, just even ask a gay person, you know, like, it just comes naturally. This is just what they knew themselves as. When very young, for the most part, you know? This is just who they naturally liked. They didn't really like the opposite sex ever at any point. This was pretty fucking natural to them. So if the problem seems to be unnatural relationships, and what this is saying, like this is saying unnatural relationships is the problem. Therefore, it cannot be condemning gay relationships because to gay people, this is what's natural to them. Because there was never a point where gay people just decided, yeah, you know, I'm just going to be gay for the heck of it, you know, or, uh, you know, like they just kept sinning and, you know, like they just fell into it. Like, no, it's just who they were always. So for them, what would be unnatural is a heterosexual relationship. What this verse seems to actually be condemning is straight people having gay relationships because that is unnatural for them. Because once again, this verse is condemning what's unnatural. If being gay is what's natural for gay people, which from everything we can see and tell, is the case, 
it can't be condemning gay relationships. It can only be condemning straight people who have gay relationships. Because for them, that is absolutely unnatural. So, anyway, that's uh, what's wrong with that verse. Um, anyway, then there's another passage. Um, um, let me find it. I'm sorry. From 1 Corinthians. Uh, I believe it's 1 Corinthians 6, 9 for 10. Sorry, I am tr struggling to find it for some odd reason. Um, okay, there we go. Uh, 6, 9 for 10. Okay. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals. Notice that they say that in the New King James. We're going to come back to that. Because uh, there is some commentary I want to make on that. Uh, nor sodomites. Nor, so, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. Huh. Seems like that ever, you know, because, you know, you, you know that the people using this passage are using this as an anti-gay verse. Why would they repeat what they see as the same thing twice? Hmm. Um. Let's see. Um. Nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. All right. I know I want to make on them saying nor homosexuals. This is an abysmal translation. Um, in fact, this is a blatant mistranslation, a abhorrent one that is, I'm sorry, is it literally evil. Um, did you know that the word homosexual was never in the Bible until like 1947 or 1948? I forget when exact year it was, it was 1947 or 48, with the revised standard version. And that they literally added the word homosexual just because they literally just wanted to put down the gay movement. Like, that's not actually a joke. Like, the translator notes, like, people have looked at the translator notes. And when they're reading them, like, they knew what they were doing. But they did it specifically just because they're like, oh my god, these homosexuals are getting a little too uppity. For, for you know, for, 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 for starting to, you know say that we're not bad, you know, that they should have rights. We can't have that. So we need to add the word homosexual to the Bible to say gay bad because we can't have this. The gays make me, you know, uh, you know, the homos make me feel uncomfortable. And, you know, we so we got to put an end to this right now. And even at the time, this was widely re uh, uh, condemned by pastors. Even people who hated homosexuals condemned the Revised Standard Version for adding the word homosexual to the Bible. So understand, this is an abysmal translation. I mean, this is them literally just making shit up when they add the word nor homosexual to this list. They are literally making shit up. This is not in the Bible, ever has been, until 1947 or 48. 
And also, once again, like, seriously, nor homosexual, nor sodomite. Because if you're saying that, then you, you're inherently, um, basically, you know, if you're translating this way, then you're inherently um, seeding the argument that Sodom's sin um, was not homosexuality, because why else would you repeat the same thing twice? Duh, like, my God. Anywho, we are, for this one, we are going back to epistle.us, or commentary. Um, and this is a long one, my friends. This is a long one. I am going to try to uh, kind of skip through this as much as possible. Uh, virtue and vice lists were common in ancient Jewish and Greek writing, and also found in Paul's letters. Um, including two with words that might relate to homosexuality. The more familiar list, such as, which is the one we just read, names ten types of persons who shall not inherit the kingdom of God, um, include, including, as translated, in, yeah, we already read these. Um, words that appear only in word lists, um, um, not applied to a specific situation, can be notoriously hard to define. Such as is the case with the with Malakoi and Arsinokotai here. Um, Malakoi, Mal, so basic, uh, Malakoi basically meant soft, delicate, but was also used to describe moral weakness or male effeminacy, uh, which is why it was used to translate as homosexual here. Uh, yet Boswell noted that church tradition held unanimously through the um, Reformation, which was the 16th century, and in Catholicism well into the 20th century, that Malakoi here referred to masturbation. Um, at, although, after the Kinsey sex reports in 1948 and 1953 showed that masturbation was widespread and not harmful, this view was largely abandoned. It should, it should thus be noted how erroneous a long-standing tradition of interpretation of Scripture can be, and without any real support for it in Scripture. So, be, so under, so before this, basically, the word that you know was translated as homosexuality in this list, you know, in First Corinthians, um, in the past, it was uh, translated as masturbation. Yeah, the church has a long history of just adding on whatever uh, sexual sin, you know, whatever sexual act that they don't like into these things. So, understand, homosexual was not the first thing that, you know, first thing that they added to the Bible unjustly just because, you know, church leaders didn't like that. Before this, it was masturbation. Which uh, to these people only men did were capable of doing because back then they knew nothing about female sexuality and didn't even think it was possible for females to masturbate. In fact, let's be honest, most of these cultures thought that females didn't even have a sex drive. So, you know, um, there's that. Um, but yeah, so understand it's talking strictly about male masturbation because according to these uh, idiots um, females were incapable of doing such a thing so moving on um, 
let's see, oh, where was I? Okay, arsenokoitai is a compound noun, joining arsen, male, and koitai, bed, inferring sex. Paul may have coined this term, deriving it from a Hebrew phrase for like mishkab, zakur, based on lie with a male, in Leviticus 20.13, which refers to a male penetrator. Or arsenos koitin, in the Septuagint translation of, the 20, of Leviticus 20.13, which refers in the Greek syntax to a male being penetrated. Um, so, uh, looking at the word itself, arsenokoitai could refer to males either as a subject or object. Okay, let's, let's, let's break that down and what that means. Basically, uh, it seems like what, what this word is referring to is either men who are being penetrated or who are penetrating. We don't know which. It could be either one. Because when it says, like, men are, you know, seen as the subject or the object, that's what it's saying. If for the subject, that means we're the penetrator. If for the object, that means we're being penetrated. Because understand, back then, sex was seen, it's a very, it's like, today, sex is seen as, you know, male or female, you know. Uh, but that's a very modern thing, like, I don't know, last a hundred or something years, you know, like... All throughout human history, up until like maybe like the last I don't know two hundred years or something, uh, if even that, like sex was always seen as passive or aggressive. Like, are you doing the penetrating or are you being penetrated? We didn't give a shit about you know what gender you were or what genitals you used. You know, it was are you penetrating or being penetrated? Are you the Active role, or are you the passive role in sex? That's how they understood sex back then. Um, but you didn't understand it in terms of straight or gay. It was, what's your role? So, like, if you were to present them the modern uh, concept of straight sex or homosexual sex, they would be confused. They would not understand what you're talking about. Because to them, sex has nothing to do with that. Sex has nothing to do with your genitals or your gender. It's what your role is. So understand what they are saying here. Um, what is important here, continue on the article, uh, what is important here in context is that all the terms in this list, except for the first and last, appear to have been intentionally paired together. Idolatry was often associated with adultery in the Old Testament. Um... Malakoi and Arsinikotai, um, thieves and coveters were both passionately want what belongs to others. And, oops, sorry. Uh, accidentally uh, closed out my thing. Uh, and drunkenness often leads to reviling, or in the NIV, slander. Therefore, the meanings of Malakoi, effeminacy of some kind, and Arsinikotai, male, same sex of some kind, seem linked. Modern scholars have interpreted Malakoi and Arsinokoitai generally among long four lines, as referring to catamites and sodomites, passive and active partners in same-sex activity. Although Bailey, which, you know, as you can see in Bailey 1955, De Young 2000, and Cagnon 2001, 
Although Bailey stressed that homosexual is a modern noun referring to same-sex orientation, could not be read back into ancient scripture. Um, yeah, because they saw it as sex as completely different things. You can't do that. Um, if you try to slap homosexual onto that, you know, label, you're just putting a modern, you're slapping a modern view onto old views, and you just can't do that. Uh, they're completely different. Anyway, number two, morally weak persons and catamized corruptors of boys or male prostitutes. McNeil, 1976, 18, 1988, Scanzoni and Mollenkot, 1978 and 1944, or Boswell, 1980, and Countryman, 1988. Um, although Boswell and Countryman held that the second word probably referred to male prostitutes who often service both sexes in ancient times. Uh, so basically, uh, they think that uh, uh, that the Malakoit and Arsinakoitai could have been referring to uh, morally weak persons or male prostitutes or possibly pedophilia, but it seems like it's more likely male prostitutes. That was the problem. So... Um, Number three, the number three way of looking at these two words, Malakoi and Arsinakoitai. Effeminate cowboys and the men who visit or keep them. Basically, prostitutes, you know. Prostitutes or the people who visit these prostitutes. Or number four, effeminate males in some sense and males who go to bed in some way. Related to economic sexual exploitation. So in other words, it seems like that uh, out of the four ways, there's one way which doesn't seem to work because it requires you slapping a modern understanding of sex onto the old ways of thinking of sex, which is, you know, the first one, which is catamites and sodomites, which just doesn't work because, well, you didn't see things in terms of heterosexual and homosexual, so you can't really do that. Um, and then the other three ways are basically prostitutes or sexual ex or economic sexual exploitation. So it seems like that, you know, Malakoi or Sinekoitai are somehow referring to either um, economic sexual exploitation or prostitution. Not gay. Um, but continuing on. Uh, but the Greek terms here defy any more specific definition. Such uncertainty explains why these Greek words have been translated so differently in various English Bibles. Yet, clearly any use of homosexual, or homosexuals here, such as in the RSV, Living Bible, NIV, and Common English Version, is an inaccurate translation for two words that have a more narrow, specific meanings in a very different cultural context. The ancient Greeks and their ideas were absorbed by Romans, never divided people into heterosexuals or homosexuals, but rather but rather assumed that everybody could and might want to do both. The second word list, um and, uh, is first Timothy one nine through ten, and I'm gonna read that here. Uh let me see here. Okay, 
Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and the insubordinate, for the ungodly and for the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers and father of fathers, and mur murderers and mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Alright, so anyway, so... First Timothy 1 through 19, 1 9 through 10 mentions 14 types of law violators. Um, uh, let's see. So, uh, as Scroggs noted, there seem to be five word groups here relating to civil law, religious purity, murder, prostitution, and falsehood. He proposed that the fourth group, including Pornai, which is uh, prostitutes, um, you know, uh, or Sinecoids High, which is, you know, uh, okay, let me, f let me find him in the New King James again, because he's using King James here, so. Okay, so, Fornicators, that's Porni. Sodomites, or Sinecoids High, um, and then there's uh, uh, kidnappers, uh, or no, wait, or did they get that wrong? Because like the New King James actually translate these quite differently than the King James. Okay, so I'm gonna read it in the King James because. Uh, I can't figure out how to translate it, like, which things the New King James translate them as. Um... Oh, never mind. Okay, I need to get it now. Okay. So, the arson, so, porni is um, fornicators. Um, then sodomites is arsenicotai. And then kidnappers is Andra Podosai. So there's fornicators, porni, sodomites, or cynicoitai, or in the King James of Vivid, defile themselves with mankind, um, and men stealers or kidnappers, Andra Podosai. Okay. So those are the three that you want to pay attention to. So there's the fourth group, uh, porni and or Sinecoitai and, and Andropodosai, fornicator, uh, sodomite, and kidnapper. Refer to boy prostitutes, the male customers who used them, and the slave dealers who procured them and sold them into prostitution. Although pornos in the New Testament generally took on the broader meaning of fornicator, uh, there is no reason why the older meaning of male prostitute may not be intended here. In ancient times, Andropodosai, meaning kidnappers and slave dealers, sought out and brought out, brought or sold, stole, stole beautiful boys and girls to sell as slaves to the brothels throughout the Roman Empire. And the verse we're saying is, if your translation translates uh, fornicate, translates um, porni as fornicators, it's a bad translation. It means supposed to mean whoremongers. Or basically, you know, prostitutes. Uh, and sodomite is supposed to mean 
the people who bought the services of the prostitutes. Not sodomite. It should not be translated as sodomite. It's, you know, um, it's those who defend defile themselves, mankind, or users of the prostitutes. That's what or Orsinokotai means in this case. People who use the prostitutes. And then the kidnappers are the people who, you know, kidnapped the prostitutes and used them, you know, and sold them to the users of the prostitutes. So that's what it's supposed to mean. It's not supposed to mean what the New King James translated them as, which is a very political modern translation that Triads is badly translated. Uh, this is a case where the King James is actually the, one of the better translations to you. So, um, they actually translated much more accurately than anybody else, really. Um, let's see here. Boswell's study of the early church fathers found that none of connected Arsenicotai or 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10 with homosexuality until Hinkmar of Reims. 9th century, and even then he seems to have understood the term as did the Vulgate Latin Bible uh, as a reference to prostitution. So even the first church father who said that arsenicoitai means homosexuality um, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10 said it was talking about prostitution, not just being gay. As the Scrobes noted, this association is backed up by Paul's use of the term in 1 Corinthians 1 through 10. Sorry, 1 Corinthians 1.10. Although Malakoi never became a tough technical term for any sexual category, on occasion the charge of effeminacy was leveled by ancient writers against both the willing youth who consented to pederastic intercourse, as anal intercourse was forbidden in Greek pedastry, and a male prostitute. Although some have suggested uh, that Malakoi in, Mal in 6 9 refers to Greek pedastry, this hardly seems likely because the participation of Greek teenagers from citizen households in athletics was highly prized while effeminacy was widely criticized. However, secret and secular prostitutions surely flourished in Corinth and Paul's day, the largest and most prosperous city in Greece, a you know, key port for you know, everything. Yeah. Everything. Um, uh, it is difficult for us to imagine the number of prostitutes in major cities throughout the Roman Empire, who not only operated out of brothels, taverns, inns, and eating houses, but openly advertised their wares on the streets, intersections, and bridges at the city gates, public buildings, and places of entertainment, and everywhere. You know, just everywhere. Um, but Paul has prostitution on his mind, as shown by his discussion of it at some length in 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20, following the vice list, 6, 9 through 11. So that he can, so basically right after the vice list, he starts talking about prostitution. Uh, so he, that he condemns both homosexual and heterosexual prostitution. Scrooge is right on target when he suggests that Malakoy refers to effeminate callboys um, that Paul may, uh, must have frequently passed on the streets, you know. Uh, basically, people who were trying to do, uh, basically, gay prostitutes. Once again, this is strictly in the context of prostitutes. The gay is not the problem here. It's the prostitution part that's the problem here. 
uh, arsenicoids high then refers to male patrons who bought verse sexual services. Anyway, pretty fucking confusing, I know. Um, I hope that you kind of kept along with all of that, but if you didn't quite understand all of that, you know, go ahead and uh, read the article to, if you need to understand better. So, anyway, you know, and of course I'll have the link to that in the description. If you have a hard time following me reading it, just read the article. Boom. Anyway, that is everything I have for you today. Hopefully uh, I have helped show you why uh, the Bible does not say gay is bad. Um, you know, if there's other passages I miss, or you just have questions about it, or you just need affirmation in general, um, hit me up, you know, maybe you find all my contact information in the show notes or YouTube description. Just hit me up. I will gladly affirm you, uplift you, uh, answer any questions you may have, or whatever, so... Anyway, that's everything I got for today. This has been a long-ass episode. We need to get this done. Besides, I am yet to eat breakfast. It's 10.15. I am fucking hungry. Uh, and I need to get to the library to do stuff. So, anywho. Talk to you later, everybody. Bye. Have a great day. Peace.